0: Everything. morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing today? We good? Good. Awesome. Great to see you. Thanks for tuning in with us. Tune in for those of you tuning in on the live stream. Uh, today, we're continuing our series on 1 Peter, going through the book 1 Peter. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Uh, chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. We're going to start. We're going to read this text out loud together. And I'm going to pray. And we're going to dive on into this. So words will be on the screen. Help me out reading this today. Let's honor God's word. but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord, let's pray. Father, we're here for you. We're here to bring glory to your name and to say thank you for our new birth in you, Jesus. That there is a fountain that never runs dry of your mercy and your grace and your love towards us. So Holy Spirit I just invite you to come and illuminate our eyes and eyes of our heart till up any hardened soil in our hearts to receive your word. This morning Lord Jesus would you be lifted high? Would you take all the glory this morning? And would you just just amaze us. Where ways we our hearts have grown dull to the beautiful work you've done in our hearts through our new birth in you, Jesus. So may we leave here worshiping and rejoicing in our salvation, bringing all praise and glory to you, Jesus, and I pray that your name would be magnified and increased and I would decrease up here. And we pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, hey, if you've been with us for a while and if you were with us last week, last week we were in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And last week, what we saw is in that text, Peter gave kind of a a long list of commands, imperatives. So some of those commands were he encouraged the, the early church that was scattered throughout Asia Minor, that was facing suffering. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed to you. Uh, As the Lord your God is holy, you too are to be holy. Don't be conformed to your former passions. And what we've seen throughout 1 Peter so far, and what we will see throughout the rest of 1 Peter, is this theme of both the indicative and the imperative of the Christian life. Meaning this, that our conduct as Christians always is to flow from our identity in Christ. Jesus, right? The indicative, this is who I am, this is all that I possess, because of both of who God is and what he's done for me in Christ Jesus. And so that is the kind of the fountain, that is the motivation, that is the fuel for how then I am to live my life, the imperative of the Christian life. What we do as Christians is born out of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. And so in our text today that we just read, our text today is kind of a continuation of that thought from the text we were looking at last week. But Peter kind of flips the order in our text where he first gives the command. And then he gives the gospel motivation that fuels the obedience to that command. And and what we just read, we saw that that command was was this. He encourages the, the early church. He says, let's love each other earnestly, sincerely, fervently, passionately. And why should we do that? And then he talks about identity. And he says, why? Because we have been born again. He says, since you have been born again. And there's a lot there. But what he's saying there is this, is that you've been born into eternal life with Christ Jesus, and your new identity only came about because of God's radical and unthinkable love for you. And as you have been the the recipient of this eternal love, now you go and you love sincerely and you love earnestly as one dearly loved by God. So we have a lot of ground to cover. We're just going to dive in uh, this this, uh, passage of scripture going verse by verse. So verse 22, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read this again in uh, verse 22. Here we go. Uh, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The first thing that jumps out to me is that clause that's kind of easy to bypass where he says, having purified your souls. And what's so interesting there is the assumption underneath that clause is that, the assumption is this, is that for the follower of Jesus, there's going to be a continual need, church, for a spiritual cleansing and purification from kind of the moral toxins and the moral pollution of sin in our lives. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 7.1. He says this, he says, since we have these promises, Like these precious gospel promises, blood-bought promises of Jesus Christ. Since we have these promises, beloved, now what do we do? Let us cleanse ourselves. Did you guys catch that? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Why? Bringing holiness to completion. in the fear of God. We talked about holiness last week, being fully devoted to God. And if we were to reverse what the Apostle Paul is saying there in 2 Corinthians 7.1, if we were to ask the question, how do we bring holiness to completion? Well, part of that process is cleansing ourselves from kind of the toxins of sin. And what amazes me today in 2020 is, I don't know if you've encountered this with some of your friends, or maybe this is you. I'm not judging you for doing this, but kind of like the the detox movement. You guys track with me? Like the cleansing movement? We're like, there's this assumption, it's not an assumption, it's, it's science, but like that, that physical toxins are really bad for you, right? And so therefore, there's things that you have to do to get rid of these toxins. And there's a lot of us, some of my friends who are like, like they, they've waged war against the toxins, right? Like, my, my, like my, my friends are like in a sauna, like every day for five hours, like, like baking themselves like a Thanksgiving ham until their internal is like 285 and every toxin's like, like gasping for air and all the water in their body has evaporated, you know? They're waging war, right? Every 40 days, they're doing a 40-day cleanse, a 40-day fast where all they're doing is drinking and eating celery juice, right? Talk about dedication and, and celery by itself is disgusting, let alone grinding it up and drinking it. I mean, you must really, you must really be passionate about putting to death and cleansing yourselves, ridding yourselves of these physical toxins, if you're drinking celery juice—that's dedication right there, in my humble opinion. Now, all that to say, physical health is great. Keep abiding in that steward the body God has given you. Right? Do that. Bake yourself in a sauna. Do whatever it takes. Right? But um, what Scripture teaches us, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, when he says, eyes are the window of your soul. What you let in will increase or decrease the darkness. Like Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. I I could talk about that as well. But what Scripture teaches is that the same truth that applies physically applies spiritually. Garbage in, garbage out. If we physically eat junk food and allow toxins in our bodies, then we will have toxins in our body that we need to get rid of that will destroy us. And it's the same spiritually. And what amazes me in the church is some of the passion and the caution and the preparation that goes into our physical cleansing. While at the same time, I don't know if we necessarily share that same passion and caution and preparation for our spiritual health. And so then you might be asking, okay, great, Nick, this is great. How do I cleanse myself from these spiritual toxins? What are they? What's the process? And Peter answers that question for us in verse 22. He says in verse 22, having purified your souls how do we purify ourselves? By, our, by your obedience to the truth. Our cleansing spiritually comes through the truth of God's word, through both knowing and obeying the truth as we soak in and meditate on uh, and memorize and just consume the true food of God's word and then go actively obey it. That's how, that's how we rid ourselves of these toxins of sin. And so as a spiritual, if you had a spiritual nutritionist who would come to you, every nutritionist, all they really do is just say diet and exercise, right? Diet and exercise. Let's do an audit of what you're eating. Let's change your diet and then go do some stuff to increase your health. And that's what Peter is saying here is is by your obedience to the the truth, your spiritual soul is refreshed and cleansed and and built up. It's both diet, digesting and, 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 and taking in the true food of God's word and then obeying it, doing it, right? And for some of us here, just to do, uh, just to talk about this briefly, I think it's important because I know this has been true of my soul in this season. If we were to do, uh, say, spiritual nutritionists were to come and look at our spiritual intake. You would say, what are you, what are you watching? What are you consuming? What junk food are you eating? And what do we need to change in your diet? A lot of our, our spiritual diet would look like this. Well, hey, every day I wake up and I start watching the news and I read the news and that, that theme continues about 30 minutes every hour for every day. Now watch this. As we watch the news, nothing inherently bad about the news. We should be informed as believers. But as we obsess about the news, we got to be careful because the moral toxins of fear and anxiety and doubt creep in, right? And then we chase that junk food. We, we we drink a Mountain Dew, and then we chase it down with a bag of Cheetos. Meaning we go to social media, which I don't know. For those of you on social media, anyways, thank you for joining us. But we go to social media, and I don't know about you, but like it's a royal rumble, right? And then all of a sudden, we go to social media and 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 the toxins of slander and malice and rage and bitterness, those toxins we've 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 let in if we're not careful. And then and then we have to now our hearts are sick, and we need to pick a numbing agent. And so I'll just th- I'll just go here. Uh, so some of us, we love HGTV, or for me, I've been watching some YouTube videos on home renovation projects and all that stuff. And so then I got a amen over there for that one. Don't I just yet? But uh, and so you watch it. So you watch it like HGTV, and then all of a sudden you got to be careful because then what what toxin creeps in is, man, greed, love of possessions, security, and, and and trust in your possessions and not in the Lord. So next thing you know, I've only talked about like an hour and a half maybe of your day, and all of a sudden we've allowed certain things to creep into our minds and our hearts and our souls if we're not careful, and then. The current diagnosis for some of us, and, and I experienced this a couple of weeks ago, was, was we're just walking around just with, with, with like mild despair, if not borderline depression. We have this blanket over us of anxiety and, and fear and doubt and 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 all of that swirling around. And so here's my if that if that describes your diet and that describes your current diag- diagnosis today. Might I suggest a dietary change? Here's my homework assignment. I did this a couple weeks ago, not to brag about myself, but to say it was like shooting up a flare to God and saying like, I'm tired of being spiritually sick. I need to change my diet. So this would be my challenge. My homework assignment for you, this is the Holy Spirit's convicting you of this, is take a seven day fast from the junk food of news, social media, Netflix, whatever that is that you're allowing in that's causing moral pollution in your heart, right? Those things aren't inherently bad in and of themselves. I'm not saying to get rid of that forever, but I'm saying for seven days do that. And then as you fast, whenever we fast spiritually, it's never to be a fast, it's to be a feast, a feast on the Lord and his goodness. And so then watch this. So then, Uptake on the true food of God's word for these next seven days. So if you start today and you're like, all right, yeah, no news, maybe just no news for seven days, and then all the time I spend on news, I'm just going to go to my favorite books of the Bible. I'm gonna read the Gospel of John, or I'm gonna memorize Romans 8. I'm gonna just, just camp out in Philippians all week, every day, meditating, memorizing, and then seeking to, by the power of the Spirit, obey God's word. You do that for seven days. Mark my words, your spiritual nutritionist today, is saying satisfaction guaranteed next Sunday, your disposition will be entirely different mark my words guaranteed. entirely different there's things that we need to check ourselves with where where this is obeying god's word by obedience to god's word we need to purify our souls by not allowing things in that are that are robbing us of our affection and our allegiance to jesus and love for others and this is this is why we do this this is like watch this watch this this is what peter continues to say Peter talks about the motivation for purification of our souls, and he says this in verse 22. Having, watch this process. Having purified your souls, how do we do that? By your obedience to the truth. And then he says, for. Intending purpose, intending motivation, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Peter, writing to the church, is saying, one of the biggest motivations for you to purify your soul of any moral pollution of sin is for love for your fellow man. I love that. He says, do all this cleansing. It's for the purpose of a sincere brotherly love, so that that you can love sincerely from the fountain of a pure heart. Verse 22 is bookended with purity of heart, right? Starts keeping your souls pure, and then it ends with so that you can love from what? A pure heart. And so this is stated differently. I think Peter is saying this. If you and I treat ourselves with love, tending to the garden of our souls through continual cleansing from the moral pollution of sin, by knowledge and obedience to God's word, so that you can be free to sincerely, you do all that so that you can be free to sincerely and earnestly love others from the fountain of a pure heart. And here's the simple truth, church. Church if you're kind of wrestling with with this kind of equation that Peter is giving us, the simple truth of the matter is this. We all know this to be true. It's a whole lot easier to love those who are around you if your soul isn't full of fear and malice and greed and lust and envy, right? It's a whole lot easier, church, to lay down your life in sacrificial love for your family or your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors if you're not a rage monster, like I just watched the news and I want to punch a wall, you know? Like how are you going to how are you going to love? How are you going to love your brother if you're, if you're full of that, right? So that's the motivation. It's for God's glory and the good of others that we we keep close watch on our hearts and and what we learn here then church is this is that one of the best things one of the best things you and I can do for out of love for others is passionately wage war against anything in our lives that is robbing us of our devotion in love for the Lord and that is crippling our ability to sincerely love our fellow man. That's one of the best things we can do. We purify our souls for sincere brotherly love and a quick side note here I don't think Peter is saying that uh, until you and I are completely free of, of selfishness and greed and, and bitterness, like, until we get all that settled, then we can obey this command. Because the bottom line is that you and I, me especially, we'd be waiting a long time until we rid ourselves, until we arrive, until you arrive at perfection. Then That's not what Peter is saying here. What we learn in this text is that our purification of our soul so that we can love our fellow man comes about in the process of loving our fellow man, Purification comes about through obedience to God's word, and God's word says love one another earnestly. So in obedience to God's truth uh, and through the the the, the power of the spirit, what we do to purify our souls is we drag our old selfish self with us to go do what God has commanded us to do. So if there's greed in my heart that's keeping me from being radically generous and giving of my time and my talents and my treasures to other people, well, guess what greedy old self? You're coming with me, and we're writing that massive check together, right? You're coming with me, right? If I'm if I'm a rage monster, and I got, you know, like, hey, guess what? You're coming with me, old self, and we got through the power of the Spirit. Maybe with some help with some brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we got a long list of people that we need to forgive in our past, right? And we're gonna do that hard work. If I if I uh, if I have a ton of pride and and I'm looking down on others, well, guess what? Prideful self, we're gonna we're gonna get on our hands and knees, and we're gonna do some foot washing together, right? And obedience, figuratively, uh, or maybe literally, right? It's through our obedience to the truth of God's word that our sanctification takes root. And as we do that, coincide, as we seek to obey God, we're, we're continually praying over the motivation of our heart. God, fill us with sincerity. Fill us with compassion. Because, um, because that's what Peter's getting at here, is love has to be sincere. And so we need to foster compassion. We need to foster empathy. Our love, shouldn't, the opposite of sincerity is dishonesty, that through our external actions of us doing things for other people, we're actually just using them for an internal motivation that isn't actually loving them and seeking to meet their needs. And so therefore, we need to continually prayerfully check the motivation of our hearts as we seek to obey God's word. That's what sincere brotherly love looks like. And then too, he talks about earnest, like, like, like we as Christians, like this is what we're passionate about. this is what we're ferocious about. This is what we do eagerly is we love one another. and it starts in the church. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he says in John 13:35, "If you go and do this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. It starts here. And so I'm going to do a shameless community group plug. Uh, right now, and I know I know community groups are it's, it's kind of tough with COVID and everything, but even still, what I want to say is it's impossible to live out the command of God's word to love the church, to love the bride of Christ in isolation. Like if we isolate ourselves from others because, you know, it's people are people, and maybe, you know, we've gotten wounded in the past or whatever. We, we actually, we can't we can't posture ourselves to be in a place to meet the needs that are in the body of Christ if we isolate ourselves from. And so if you've been with us for a while, and I just encourage you to join a community group so you can dwell in the community of God's people and keep your eyes and ears open for ways that you can be Jesus to his bride, right? And meet those needs around you. So I've, I've been uh, uh, kind of dwelling in community with a, a couple guys uh, pretty closely in, in the transit church, and two of those guys are single, and, and so they, they know kind of, uh, uh, like, the last four months of, of Jen and I's marriage has been really tough, because Jen's been going through some, some serious health issues with this pregnancy, and it's just been, just been rough all around, and then these two single dudes in their 20s uh, see my need. They see a need there, and they say, hey, and, and by the way, you know, don't hit them up if you know who they are, because they're my babysitters, not yours. Anyways, so they... They offer. They're like, "Hey, what are you? What are you and Jen doing this Friday night? Do you want a date night? We'll watch the kids." And I was like, "I was kind of floored." And that was like, it, it, like sometimes in life, you go through seasons. You kind of feel like like some weeks feel like you're just like your nose is above water and you're just like you're drowning. And it was it was like, man, they threw us a life preserver. They really had no idea. So how how, how that Friday night uh, kind of uh, life preserver really helped Jen and I and all that to say, man, it was genuine, it was sincere, but these single dudes in their 20s, when I was their age, I was playing Call of Duty, you know, and, and whatever, and they're posturing themselves both to hear the needs and then to go meet those needs uh, for uh, God's glory and the good of others, and I have been on the receiving end of that, and, I've been, and, and through them, see, when we do that, it was through them that the love of Jesus comes and encourages us and strengthens us. Often, often we don't realize that that, that God's love is shown through his body to each other. That's what he wants, unity in one body. So we need each other, church. We need each other to do that. So that would me, if, 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 uh, if you have any questions about how to join a group and all that stuff, please come and talk to me. I oversee that. I'd love to get you plugged in. And so then the text here today transitions to identity. Peter talks about the, uh, here the imperative, and now he shifts to our identity. And what we learn is that the only way to foster sincere compassion and love for others it's like we have to be born again. We have to have kind of new spiritual DNA. And this is what Peter says in verse 23. He says, he says sense, so do all this love earnestly and sincerely, since you have been born again because of who you are in Christ Jesus. And you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. And So the first thing that Peter points his readers to and reminds them of is their identity. He says, you have been born again, and since you have been born again, this is why you love others, because you have been shown God's immeasurable, unthinkable, unfathomable love for you in your new birth. And with your new birth you get a, a new spiritual makeover. You get a new spiritual uh, genetic makeup where Jesus Christ and his love is now flowing through your veins so it's finally possible to love as Christ has loved you. In order for us to love uh, to love supremely and love the way Jesus intends, we have to receive his love in the new birth. That's the only way love is possible. That sacrificial love is through uh, through through the love of Christ. And kind of begs the question, well, why is this new birth needed? What do we mean when we talk about being born again? Well, well, here's what we know to be true, is that in our first birth, our natural birth, we inherited kind of, if you will, the spiritual genetic makeup of our first father, Adam. This is what Romans 5, 12 says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through Adam, through one man, and death, the consequence of sin, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That's the result of our first birth. What scripture clearly articulates is that we are sinners by nature and by choice. That this is what we're born into in our natural birth. This is our inheritance is sin and death and eternal separation from God. And sinners meaning that, that we've all rebelled against God's lordship over our lives and fallen short of his glory, saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. I'm not going to listen to anything you command or say. I know that the only reason I exist is because you spoke me into existence. But as far as I can see, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm the master of my own fate, and I refuse to bend my knees to my creator, right? And we, and we walk away, and we say, I called the shots, you, you have no say over anything in my life, even though it was your word that spoke me into existence. My words will never confess you as creator or Lord. And, and, and the scripture says, we all like sheep have done this. in big ways and little ways and subconscious ways and conscious ways, we've all been by nature inherited this, but also interacted with that rebellion where God's crystal clear, he's written his law in our hearts and we've willfully just disobeyed that. In Ephesians 2, one through three, Ephesians 2, one through three puts it this way, talking about our natural birth. This is what we're born into. He says, and you were dead. If you're dead, you need, you, need res- you need to be resurrected, right? And, and, and Paul here in Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, watch this, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of, of the body and mind. And watch this, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so if our fundamental state of being through our natural birth is death and and sin and trespasses, then our greatest need is to be born again, is to be made alive in Christ Jesus. And this is what we see in the rest of Ephesians 2. Thankfully, Ephesians 2 doesn't stop there. There's hope given to all of humanity. There's hope given to everybody watching this live stream today. If you have not tasted and seen the goodness of God in Christ Jesus, death and resurrection for you on the cross, this is the good news, the hope, the eternal hope of glory, the eternal life that Jesus bought to give us. Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy, that's the God of the Bible, is a God who is rich, abundant. His grace is incalculable. His love is immeasurable. He's being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. That's why we can love is because he's a God of great love and he has redeemed us because of his great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us, what did he do, church? He made us alive together with Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved. And then, and then watch this, and raised, up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, watch this, hope we have watch this hope we have in Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, just like your natural birth was not your own doing. Nobody, nobody, Nobody here before they, like, they entered the scene of humanity it was like, I really want to be born in this decade. You know, nobody willed their natural birth into existence. And what we learn crystal clear right here in God's work is our spiritual birth, our new birth in Christ, was God's sovereign grace to us. Watch this. For by grace you've been saved. This is not your own doing. It is a precious gift of God, a blood-bought gift of God. It is not the result of works. Not a single one of us here can boast that we chose Jesus and look down on other people who haven't. But for the grace of God, this dead man would still be dead in his sins and trespasses, but God's God's precious grace to me. But God being rich in mercy, he breathed new life into me. And what we see here through all this in our new birth, we see the radical nature of our new birth in Christ Jesus, that it was all the work of Jesus. But, but watch this. I could preach a whole nother sermon on this, so, so just bear with me on, on this real quick. This is what we get when we're born again, church. Do we understand this? We have to understand this, okay? This is what I believe Peter is reminding the church out, who's facing suffering and persecution. He's saying, when you are born again, you get a new name. You get a new identity. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. You're the forgiven of God. You've been cleansed. You've been made alive. You're no longer dead. You have life in Christ Jesus. You've been given a new name, a new name, the beloved of God. You have a new father. You're no longer a child of wrath, but a child of grace, a son and daughter of the God of, of immeasurable love. You have a new family. We're no longer orphans, but we're adopted into the family of God. We have a new purpose, church. Church. I mean, think about what we used to live for before Jesus grabbed a hold of our hearts a new purpose, a new, a new purpose, a new mission, a new, a, new, a new ethic in life. Instead of living for selfish trifles, we're laying down our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. Jesus said, We lose our lives and we, and, and in that. We give our life for His sake. We find abundant life. We've found abundant life in Christ Jesus. We get a new inheritance with the new birth, right? Our inheritance and our natural birth was sin and, and death. That was our inheritance, but now with the new birth, our inheritance, as we learn in Ephesians 2, is the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness in Christ Jesus towards us for all of eternity. And so what we see here is that through the new birth, we are finally capable of loving God and loving each other because we've received the new spiritual DNA. We have, we, have, we have the spiritual genetic makeup, right, makeup of Christ flowing through our veins as the spirit of Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. The Spirit of God lives inside every believer. And then Peter talks about how this new birth comes about, right? And he says, he says in, in, in the text in 1 Peter 22 through 25, he says, this is how the new birth came about. It came about because somebody in your life did some gospel gardening. This is what he's talking about. I believe out of recap 23 through 25, he's saying this, your new birth came about through both the hearing and the receiving of the good news of Jesus Christ. You have been born again into eternal life in Christ Jesus. Meaning this the imperishable seed of the gospel was thrown and cast by somebody onto the soil of your heart, and by God's miraculous grace, that seed caught. And has taken root. And now that eternal seed has begun to grow into a plant that is living and abiding and eternal. And this seed has birthed new life. And not just new life, but everlasting life. Because it's it's an imperishable seed. And so what we learn in 1 Peter 23-25 in our text is that the way we're born again, our salvation, the process of that comes about through both human communication and divine illumination. Human communication, divine illumination, Romans 10, 14 through 15. The Apostle Paul says it this way. How then will they, talking about people who don't know Jesus, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And watch this. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear us open up our mouth and share Jesus with them. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If we were to rephrase this and we were to ask, how can new birth come into a man's soul? I think what Paul is saying here is, how can new birth come into a man's soul if nobody is casting the imperishable seed of the gospel onto the soil of his heart? And so what we learn here, at church, is one of the most precious and loving things that we could ever do for somebody is tell them about Jesus. Tell them about his love for them. Tell them about his death and his resurrection, the new life he purchased, the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the reconciliation to God, the the imperishable inheritance he offers. I mean, that's the best thing we can do is is be gardeners and just in faith, throw the seed of the gospel to whoever we can, right? That is one of the most loving things we can ever do for anyone. And And the fact of the matter is a lot of us here, almost all of us here who are professing faith in Christ, the reason we're here is because somebody at some point in our lives did some gospel gardening in our lives. Maybe it was a parent, you know, who just repeatedly uh, threw in, in faith a seed of the gospel uh, towards us. Maybe you all didn't just have a garden. Maybe for some of your stories, it was like, it was like farmers doing like crop dusting like, like over, over decades, like, here's the seed of the gospel, and, and then God radically you know, saves you. For some of us, maybe it was a precious young life leader, right, at a young life camp, where, where God grabbed a hold of your heart, and that speaker in faith took it in faith, sacrificing his summer, probably away from his family just to open up his mouth and tell these high schoolers who don't know Jesus about the love of Christ. And then destinies are changed forever. Casting that imperishable seed of the gospel and it takes root and eternity is born in the hearts of man, the eternal life, the precious eternal life that Jesus purchased. It's both human communication and divine illumination. And, what, and, and as we open our mouths, and for some of our stories is that gospel seed has been, has been sown. And <laughs> it's as if Jesus comes with his nail-scarred hands, right? And in the hardness and the deadness of the soil of our heart, our precious Savior comes and he holds on to that precious seed in our heart packs down the soil, waters it, and breathes life into that seed, so it finally takes root. It's his work. By God's grace, he sent somebody to preach the gospel, and then Jesus comes through the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit and applies that redemptive work, and that seed takes root. Holy Spirit applying the redemption to our hearts, so that imperishable seed is caught. And I love, I love, I love here how Peter describes the seed of the gospel. He calls calls it the imperishable seed, right? And at the end of verse 25, he says, says, this word, this imperishable seed was the gospel, the good news that was preached to you. But But he says it's imperishable, it's an imperishable seed. And we've seen that word, imperishable, imperishable, three times now in 1 Peter. And the first place we see it is in chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, right? Chapter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us what? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Watch this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So what we see here, church, is like begets like. Like begets like. Meaning, watch this. If an imperishable, I hope this encourages and strengthens your soul today, church. Like this is truth. This is the truth of the matter. For those of you who are doubting your salvation or the insurance, this is the truth of the matter. If an imperishable seed of the gospel has taken root in your heart, you can rest assured that an eternal harvest awaits. If an imperishable seed has caught and has taken root, eternal glory awaits. An imperishable unfading inheritance of God's grace awaits for us. Because how in the world can an eternal seed sown in you, die, and not fulfill its intended purpose, that's impossible because eternal things never wither and die. It's the hope of Jesus, eternal life being birthed in us. And then if that's not enough, last week in verses 18 through 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter talked about how our redemption, the ransom price that was paid to, to rescue us from our slavery to sin and captivity to the devil, that price was not, watch this, was not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, but then he says, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of our eternal King. And so then if we were to ask the question, how in the world could his precious blood, how in the world could his precious blood of imperishable value, watch this, how could his blood ever lose its value to eternally redeem us? Is is this landing for you guys? The blood of the Lamb will never lose its infinite value, meaning this, we are never going back to our former captivity. If that imperishable seed has taken root through the infinite value of the blood of Jesus, the check will never bounce for our debt of sin. The price has been paid with the blood of the lamb. His blood is sufficient forever. We weren't purchased with perishable things, but with the imperishable, precious blood of Christ. The, 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 the imperishable seed took root in our hearts. It's living and abiding and growing. And, and we can look to the blood of the lamb and its infinite value to know that we will be, we, we're good, right? We're good. His blood is sufficient. And then Peter says this, talking about the, the, just the eternal life that Jesus grants us. He says this, he says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls. Like, like, church, this is the reality of all of our existence, right? Nobody has this thing figured out of, of suffering and, and 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 death, except for Jesus, right? Like, this is this is our state. All of us wither. All of our glory will fade. This is what he's saying. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So what Peter is saying here, this this morning church is this, is that even though your flesh will fail and your glory fade, watch this, the eternal work that God has sown in your hearts, rest assured, he will bring it to full completion. An imperishable seed can only bring about everlasting glory. And so for those of us today, I'm going to slowly wrap up here. For those of us today maybe watching the live stream that are just beaten down and and and, and facing persecution and wrestling with with suffering? Do we understand? I feel like Peter is saying this morning, say, take off that blanket of oppression and depression and look to the, set your gaze fully on the hope, right? We looked at this last week, set your gaze fully on the hope of the grace that is to reveal the coming of our Lord. And Peter here, what we know, is writing to the suffering, beaten down church. And I feel like he's saying, he's reminding us of the good news of our new birth in Jesus. And he's saying, have you not seen and heard what God has accomplished for you? in Christ Jesus. Do we not know what we possess in Jesus? We have eternal life in him, and it's not based on our performance, on our credibility, on our value of our, of our meritorious works done to save ourselves. It's the precious Savior and his love and his grace for us saying, saying, I want to lay down my life for you to ransom you from slavery and reconcile you back to God the Father, so you can be granted eternal life and and, and and reign in victory over sin and death, where sin and death no longer have any claim of victory over your life. So I love about 1 Corinthians 15, he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Christ has rendered you defeated. And so um, this eternal glory that has been birthed in us through the gospel taking root, through the imperishable seed that will never die, that has grown into a living and biting plant, and that will one day increase, bring forth uh, an imperishable inheritance, Isaiah 25 gives us this picture of what is to come. And so I'm going to conclude with this. But church, this isn't, this isn't just a Bible verse. This is a day that is coming in our lives for those who have, have responded to the call of Jesus to new birth in him. And so I'll read through this and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Isaiah 25, six through nine. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine, well-refined. A feast awaits us, church, a feast awaits us. And watch this, verse seven, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Verse eight, I hope this comforts your soul. He will swallow up death forever forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, watch this. It will be said that our waiting for him was worth it. Watch this. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. And this is the Lord we have waited for him. And let us be glad, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So church, in our waiting until that day comes, and it will come, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal is clothed in immortality, until that day comes, let us look to Jesus and let us rejoice and be glad in our Savior and the new birth, the new eternal life that he died to give us. And so let's, uh, Let's close in prayer. I'll invite the band up and I'll just give you, give you guys a time to respond. Uh, just give your hearts to the Lord, the soil of your hearts to the Lord. And, and maybe for some of you who are watching this or maybe for some of you who are in this room and, and uh, you've never responded in faith to the call of Jesus Christ. The call of Jesus Christ is simple. Come and follow me. And the greatest opportunity ever extended to a human being is that opportunity right there to be a follower of Jesus, to be, to be made alive and set free from sin and death in Christ Jesus and reconciled to God the Father. And so if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, would you call upon him now? Romans 10 teaches us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. We confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and and trust in our hearts that he died and rose again for us and for our sins, that we have this free gift. That's us receiving, opening up our hands, posturing our hearts, and receiving that gift, that precious gift where he comes and radically transforms your life forever. There's no greater opportunity. That, you, that, that could ever be offered to you this morning. If you've never said yes to Jesus, give him your yes, your full surrender. Give him the blank check of your life. Lay down, maybe get on your hands and knees this morning as the band plays and we sing this one last song about Jesus Christ being our foundation, our true hope. Just give him your everything. Give him your all. Say, yes, Jesus, I choose you. I receive your forgiveness. I, I receive your death and your resurrection on my behalf. And I declare that you are Lord of my life and I'm stepping off the throne answer yes to the call, respond in faith to the call of God. This is God through me, I believe, calling you today to repentance, to new life in him. And so let's go to him in prayer. I'll go silent here for a little bit and give you guys the opportunity to go to to your precious savior in prayer. I'm so grateful for your word, that your God who speaks and acts on our behalf. and In your word, through the power of the Spirit, working through your servant, the Apostle Paul, you give us this beautiful, sure hope in the midst of a world full of suffering and despair. We have this hope today. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But watch this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. You are worthy of us. Just giving you, just laying down our lives in adoration and worship for you for what you've accomplished for us. So may we posture our hearts to invite you, Holy Spirit, today to come and have access to every room of our hearts. Would you come and till up any hardness in the soil of our hearts that's opposed to you and to the work you want to do in our lives? Would you come, precious Holy Spirit? Would you till up that soil, any hardness, any opposition, any hardness of heart be softened today so that imperishable seed can take root and birth this beautiful, miraculous work that you desire? You desire that none should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's put their trust in you and for the first time maybe ask you to come into their life and forgive them of their sins and be their lord and savior lord just want to pray over that imperishable seed that has taken root lord jesus that your spirit would come and water that plant and that they would be overcome with your love and your grace and your mercy lord jesus and that we you would bless them richly lord god in that and that there would be a harvest they'd already seed fruit immediately in their lives today lord if they made that decision and they would rest lord jesus and look to you as their savior. They don't need to no longer look to themselves to save themselves and muster up enough strength to make you happy. That, But on the cross, that they can look to the cross and see your radical love for them while they were sinners, Lord Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for the new birth, the new life you've given us. And Lord, waking up your church to the power of your spirit, to take off the blinders of our eyes, or to to, to, to open up deaf ears to receive the goodness of your gospel amaze us again. With who we are in you, Christ Jesus, where our hearts have grown cold or apathetic or warm or cold to to you, Lord Jesus, this is what you've done. You've planted eternity in our hearts, and that eternal seed will, will, will create an eternal harvest. So may we cling to that in faith and rest in that today, Lord Jesus. So thank you, Lord for your posture towards us, for what you've done for us, the people you've sent into our lives to preach the good news to us and the work through your Holy Spirit that you've done to redeem us and make us born again. We love you, Jesus, and please be magnified and glorified in our lives and with the rest of this service. We pray this in your name. Amen.